Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Good morning, church. This is Pastor Brian coming to you from the church office at 314 East Main here in downtown Ligonier. It's the first Sunday we've been unable to meet together as the coronavirus pandemic makes its way across the world. As a backup plan, I thought we'd use a bit of newfangled technology to stay connected with the old, old story of Jesus' death and resurrection. It's called podcasting, a cross between a radio show and Netflix where you can hear the word of God proclaimed, hear the voices of your fellow church members, and hopefully remain connected with God in what could be a dark season to come. It's my hope over the coming weeks that we're going to use this podcast, which I've tentatively titled The Cross and Corona, and our email newsletter too, to stay in relationship emotionally and spiritually, since we can't be in relationship physically. If you have any questions or technical difficulties or requests of how to improve things, don't hesitate to let me know. You know my email. And if you'd like to make a recording of your voice with your phone to share during our Sunday service broadcasts, let me know too. We love to have as many of Epiphany's voices come together in a digital body of Christ over these coming weeks. So grab your family, grab a cup of coffee, find a comfy seat, and be reassured that the gospel is still true. Jesus died and rose again, and nothing can separate you from God's love. In the words of Julian of Norwich, all will be well, all will be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Happy Sunday, everyone. Good morning to all of our friends at Epiphany. This is Terry Toscano, reading the colic for today. Gracious Father, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ, came down from heaven to be the true bread which gives life to the world, evermore give us this bread, that he may live in us and we in him, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verses 29 through 38. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all this has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. The word of the Lord. Good morning, church. This is our first Epiphany morning prayer worship service that we're having together in an exclusively audio format. And it's really a real gift that we can do that. You know, in the 1918 Spanish flu epidemic, uh, one that was significantly more serious and concerning than ours, 
They certainly didn't have this luxury of communicating with each other uh, over uh, even radio at that point. I was doing a little digging for the history of churches closing this week and actually found that one seminarian did his homework and found uh, some information about the last time the pandemic, uh, the Spanish flu, hit Washington, D.C. And churches closed then too back in the early 1900s in 1918 as many of the soldiers from World War I came home from fighting overseas. They brought the Spanish uh, flu with them. And so there was an initial outbreak in the spring of 1918, and then it kind of went away in the summer, but it came back in the fall. And in Washington, D.C., it got to be so bad in the fall of 1918 uh, that the um, public health officials asked the churches locally to close. They asked the churches to close in um, early October, and the churches all agreed. And by the end of the month, October 31st, the churches were allowed to meet again as uh, these new cases of the flu began to seriously decline. That doesn't mean the Christians of Washington, D.C. appreciated the closure by any stretch. We have plenty of letters to the editor begging the public health officials to allow churches to meet again, saying that it was important for the morale of the people, it was important uh, for uh, the spirituality of those who were uh, locked in their homes, and so if history is any indication, the next few weeks won't be that easy among us for um, along many stretches. That doesn't mean our situation here is going to change, and this is not a prophetic word to tell you that we should be meeting again in about a month, but it is meant to be a word of peace to you in this unique season in the church. Um, because uh, they were going through the same thing we're going through right now about a hundred years ago. And the directives of pastors in 1918 was that families should worship and pray in their home houses, own houses together on Sunday morning. And I hope by the gift of modern technology to help with that purpose. Our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke marches on. We have reached the latter half of Luke 21. Uh, that's the part of Luke 21 uh, we did last week. It talked a lot about uh, the fall of Jerusalem. Jesus predicted that in his earthly ministry, something that would happen a few years after his death and resurrection. And Jesus is going to conclude that teaching in our reading today. And we read about Jesus's interaction with a fig tree. He uses the ripeness of a fig tree as a metaphor for understanding the seasons and the times of the year. To put it in Western Pennsylvania terms, we might say it like this. Just like you know spring is coming when you see the purple crocuses blooming around Ligonier, so too will you know, as Jesus articulated, when the end of things is drawing near. That would be the translation of the fig parable into our own time. We discussed this some last week, for those of you who are in church, Jesus in this passage is likely talking about the fall of the temple in Jerusalem, this great monument of civil and religious life for the whole nation of Israel. Uh, Jesus says, this generation will not pass away in our reading. Uh, and, and he likely means the, the big event that's going to happen in the year 70 AD when the Roman army comes and destroys the temple. And of course, what happens between our reading today in Luke 21 and 70 AD, but the death and resurrection of Jesus himself, 
which brings the kingdom of God to earth. We see fully that he is indeed the Son of Man. And so Jesus gives his disciples a vision for how we ought to live in light of the coming end of the age. Here's what our reading says. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell in the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Now that phrase, weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness, is an interesting phrase. Dissipation is a word that means to go to excess. And what Jesus is describing here is someone who has lost all hope and is squandering away their life in drunkenness and excess and hangovers and binges of the sort. And that's not the first time we have a vision for uh, that kind of lifestyle in the scripture. You can go to the book of Isaiah, and you can also go to St. Paul's letter uh, to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. And the, this phrase, there's a phrase common in both of those uh, books, both of those bits of scripture, that is uh, often paraphrased in our culture around us. Both of those passages uh, have characters or people saying, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And both Isaiah and 1 Corinthians, um, those phrases express the sentiment, the idea, that people see death coming and they just sort of despair and party away uh, their last remaining days. That's what that phrase means. And you can see that Jesus means something similar here, that our, we are to watch ourselves lest our hearts be weighed down and we interact in this difficult apocalyptic season, as Jesus' audience would have been, by saying, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to sort of do all the things that make me happy because uh, I'm going to die soon, and I won't have that opportunity. And in Isaiah and in 1 Corinthians, in both of those circumstances, when the, the characters who say that line God is not okay with that way of thinking. Um, and Jesus doesn't approve of it in our reading today either. Jesus says that these people who are sort of giving it up and parting it all away, they'll be caught like they're in a trap. That's what it will be like for them in the day of the Lord. It will be an unexpected and sudden ending of things. Jesus says, you can party all you want, but that doesn't push back the day of the Lord that is coming for everyone. But then Jesus goes on to say, don't let your hearts get so discouraged that you become resigned to your fate. And he says, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. The opposite of sleepy, drunken, resigned stupor, Jesus says, is to be awake, to be praying for strength and to stand, to look at the catastrophe that is oncoming and to do something about it. Uh, the imagery here, again, when you put it in the historical context, is that the Roman army is on its way to invade and destroy Jerusalem, and one person has sort of partied the night away before, 
and they wake up with a hangover, and they're sort of scratching their chest and waking up and yawning, only to find that the entire city around them has been surrounded by the Roman Empire, and indeed their death is coming. The opposite imagery is one who woke up early, stayed alert, said his prayers, and escaped from the city before the Romans were able to set up a siege. It's an image that Jesus invites us to transfer over to the invading forces of heaven, which will one day come to correct all things on the earth. When Jesus returns with his angelic host to take that which is his, which is the earth and everything in it, the question is whether we'll be ready or not. And so what does it look like to be ready for Jesus' return? And I think that's where I want to spend our time looking today. What does it look like to get ready for Jesus' return? And I can start doing that by going the opposite way. I know very clearly what it doesn't look like to prepare for Jesus' return, and you do too, right? Um, preparing for Jesus' return does not look like the TV show Doomsday Preppers. Have you seen this show before? Have you seen the show Doomsday Preppers? If you've seen the show, you know what I'm talking about, because the show is a, is a show, a reality TV show, mostly about men, right? Um, some spouses too, but for whatever reason, it's mostly men who invest all of their spare financial wealth and time into preparing for the uh, civilization that will inevitably collapse. They, they're preparing for the end of the world. And what they usually do is they have these massive collections of guns and dehydrated food, and they have secret hidden bunkers, and they have access to clean and fresh water, and they usually all wear the same thing, which is a lot of camo with, with these heavy-duty vests with ammunition tucked in their pockets, and they sign up for survivalist skill workshops about eating edible bugs and how to, how to garden well. And I'm not going to tell you that's a bad idea, you know. Um, you know, you can prepare for the fall of civilization if you want. That's fine by me. Um, in fact, at a time like this one, if you have done that, well, we might be a little jealous of your prepping. But I don't want to confuse that kind of prepping for the kind of preparation needed to be square with Jesus when he returns to be able to stand before the Son of Man. That's not what it means in Jesus' uh, teaching here, to be prepared and to be awake for his return. Here's another way to miss the point about how to prepare for Jesus' return. Jesus doesn't want us to embrace what some people call um, lifeboat theology. Lifeboat theology. Now, what is lifeboat theology? Lifeboat theology is this idea that our world is like a sinking ship. And what Christians do is they say, listen, we are getting off the boat. And what they do is they sort of grab lifeboats while the ship is sinking, and they paddle off on their own without the main ship to kind of do their own thing. And you see this from time to time, these sort of little Christian enclaves that bond together and they sort of stay away from the rest of the world and build these walls to separate them. Um, that the rest of the world is sinful and unclean, but this little community that is gathering there, the pure righteous ones who are going to be there and, and ready for when Jesus returns. And they sort of throw rocks at the rest of the world and say, look at you, you sinful people. 
you think that God's going to be good to you when he returns. Uh, and the best they can sort of do is say, you're a sinner and repent. But most of the time, they, they just kind of keep it with, you're a sinner. And the problem with this this idea where you sort of segregate and build walls off between you and the rest of the world is that Jesus's ministry is really defined by hobnobbing with the worst of society, right? We've been through the gospel of Luke together. We're almost done with it. And it seems silly to say if we're, you know, I want to be like Jesus and then read that Jesus spent all of his time with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus actively sought out people who were the ancient Near East equivalent of a mob boss and mob hitmen, and he sought out people who were traitors to the political causes of the day, and he sought out prostitutes, and he sought out people of ill repute, um, specifically because he said the kingdom of God is for them. And so you get these little Christian groups that kind of segregate themselves away from the rest of the world, and, and they don't want any influence. And I'm not talking about the monastic life necessarily, or the cloistered life as the Catholic community calls it. I'm not talking about that, although a badly organized community like that can reflect this idea. What I'm talking about, and maybe you've had some experience with this, um, it's a church that focuses a lot on end times theology, as if that's the only thing worth talking about. And they turn this critical eye to everyone outside their community, and they can see the faults of the world, um, but they, they don't turn that same critical eye in on themselves to see where they're at fault because they are the, the pure folks. And the problems of the world are just so pervasive and corrupting, they say it's almost impossible to do anything about it. So let's just sit here with people of our similar demographic and wait out the end. I mean, that's what we talk about when we talk about lifeboat theology, as if these Christians have built their own little Noah's Arks to escape the rest of the world that they are living in. And that's not what Jesus means either. It's not what it means uh, for Jesus to prepare for his return. We are not to be uh, doomsday preppers, and we are not to jump ship on the rest uh, of the world in panic. And to figure out what to do instead, to say, all right, well, if that's what we're not supposed to do, here's something we can do. I think it would be best to enlist the help of author C.S. Lewis. Lewis wrote, you see, most of his work in the World War II years, times that were certainly more strenuous and difficult than ours. And many of us are familiar with his stories. And his book, Mere Christianity, was a compilation of radio stories that he did for the BBC, that were live broadcast during the war's worst. And after the war, you see, Lewis was still called upon by a number of journalistic sources, press and radio, to provide commentary on current events. And as England transitioned from sort of, you know, air raid, blitz, World War II, D-Day, over to the atomic age and Cold War and atom bombs and, you know, duck and cover, Lewis was called upon to provide a Christian perspective uh, on the topic of nuclear annihilation. I know, right? Of all the things you could want to ask C.S. Lewis about, they asked him about nuclear annihilation, and here's what he said. In one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I'm tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year. 
Or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all who you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us are going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics, but we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go on about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. The first point to be made and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, a microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. These are uh, prescient words, I think, for a world concerned with its own near apocalypse from the flu. And these are words that accurately describe what it means to be awake when Jesus returns. Words that accurately describe how to be on guard for the fall of Jerusalem that Jesus is predicting. What does it mean to be awake? To go on trusting in the providence of God. To not worry so much about your life. To make calm and wise decisions and to give your life to God actually and truly um, because you believe he loves you and continue on loving your neighbor as yourself. These are the things that show a trust in God. These are the things that you'll be able to present before him uh, when he returns, not cowering in fear, not letting fear control our lives, not letting fear be the thing that dictates um, how we shop, how we interact with one another using wisdom, as C.S. Lewis said, to make calm and wise decisions. Part of what it means for us to have Jesus' death and resurrection in our rearview mirror is that we Christians can't view the future with despair. We just can't. Eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. As fun as that might sound, it's ultimately a party of despair. Eat, drink, and tomorrow we die. If that's how we approach our own situation with the coronavirus or with any other challenge in our life, we're bound to end up in trouble. Because what it belies is a fact that the providence of God is not in the midst of us, and even our lows as well as our highs. But perhaps we can put a resurrection spin on this dour approach to disaster. We can say in light of Jesus' resurrection, it is good that we eat and drink, for tomorrow we die and rise again. Hear that bit on the end, right? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die and rise again. It's a different spin on it, I think. I mean, that's more like Jesus, who celebrated the Passover feast 
with his disciples the night that he was to be betrayed and the night before he was crucified. That's more in line with God's vision, that we go on eating and drinking and living our lives in the certain hope and fear of resurrection. Friends, I tell you, do not sleep, do not be caught off guard, but be awake. Trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Do this, and you will be able to stand before the Son of Man when he comes. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, church. It's Beth Gerald here. Hope you're all well. Miss seeing your faces and hope we'll be together soon. Here are two prayers that we can pray together in the midst of this virus season. So here we go. Almighty God, by your word, you laid the foundations of the earth, set the bounds of the sea, and still the winds and waves. Surround us by your grace and peace and preserve us through this virus outbreak. By your spirit, lift up those who have fallen, strengthen those who work to rescue and to fill us with the hope of your new creation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ, went about doing good and healing all manner of sickness and disease among the people, continue in our hospitals his gracious work among us, especially for those frontline professionals serving those ill with the coronavirus. Console and heal the sick. Grant to the physicians, nurses, and assisting staff wisdom and skill, diligence and patience. Prosper their work, O Lord, and send down your blessing upon all who serve the suffering through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Music and sound effects used in today's podcast are from a number of Creative Commons attribution licenses. And so I'd like to thank Alexander on Orange Free Sounds for the Angel Fire soundbite, FeliziansStudios.com for the light switch sound effect, and the band Planet Wardo for their tune, That Love Is Me. This has been Epiphany's Sunday Service Podcast, and this is Pastor Brian reminding you that all shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Go in peace. Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania.